Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. If I look a little bleary-eyed, I apologize. It is very late at night or very early in the morning, depending on how you judge it. Pro tip, people are always asking me for advice on what to do if you run a YouTube channel. Uh, don't schedule three hours of meetings on your busiest day of the week. That is just a recipe for a late night, which is what I'm having. But I'm energized by the box office because we have a lot to talk about. The continued saga of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the huge debut of Creed 3, and so much more. Before we get to that, though, I want to thank, as always, my partners here on the show, Carbon Health. You've heard me talking about Carbon Health. They're 120 plus locations that handle urgent care, COVID and RSV and flu testing, vaccinations. But what people should be looking into is the fact that they're expanding into primary care services. And those services include connected health, which is the idea that our health isn't just about our bodies, but about our mental health. Carbon Health is expanding those primary care services further this year in 2023. They just recently rolled out in Massachusetts. And if you're in California, you can check them out right now, as well as the services they've always provided, including urgent care services and telehealth, which you can use using the Carbon Health app. I love being partnered with Carbon Health because I like what they're doing, which is to make healthcare as accessible and affordable to as many people as possible. So thank you as always to Carbon Health for being a presenting sponsor and partner here on the show. And let's get to the box office for this past weekend. We knew that Creed 3 was going to be the number one movie of the weekend, but it exceeded all expectations with a huge debut. Creed 3 was one of those movies where every time the estimates were updated, the number just kept going up. It ended up with a 58.3 million dollar opening weekend, well above expectations for the film. Lots more to say about that coming up. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania having another not-so-great weekend. 59.9% drop in its third week for a $12.8 million total. A 59.9% drop is what we would expect in week two, and we already talked last week about the big drop for that film. We're going to put that into some more context in a few minutes. Cocaine Bear in its second week holds better than a lot of movies in this sort of genre. 52.1% for an $11.1 million total. Demon Slayer into the Swordsmith Village debuts at number four with $10.1 million. I've gotten into Demon Slayer since it's sort of broken through here in the U.S., so I actually went and saw this and quite enjoyed it. It was great to see, especially that big battle at the end of season two on the big screen. Funny story, I was sitting next to a gentleman who I thought was a fan of Demon Slayer or anime. Maybe he was, I don't know, but after the first two episodes, which the ones that already aired uh, were done, he leaned over to me. He's like, I don't know, man, I was expecting something more. And I was like, well, you know, there's a, there's an episode that we haven't seen yet. That's like the first episode of season three and it's coming up next. And he was like, oh, wow. So he gets up, he goes to the snack bar. He comes back, sits in the seat, proceeds to fall asleep, sleeps through the entire first episode of season three. We, we just left him sitting in his chair asleep. He may still be asleep in the theater. So I guess he probably is still expecting more because he definitely slept through the only new part of Demon Slayer that there was to offer, but I enjoyed that episode. I'm looking forward to season three, and I thought that this was a pretty solid debut for something that was really two-thirds something that people have already seen at home. In fifth place was Jesus Revolution with a 46.7% drop. A sub-50% drop is probably what you'd expect for a movie with an A-plus cinema score. At number six was Avatar The Way of Water, dropping out of the top five in week 12, a 24.9% drop and a $3.6 million dollar 
total. An important note to be made about Avatar's box office, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. At number seven, the new Guy Ritchie film, Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, $3.1 million. You know, it's shocking. It had a whole two weeks of promotion. Shocking that it could only get up to number seven, or maybe shocking that it did get all the way up to number seven. At number eight, Puss in Boots, The Last Swish, a 33.3% drop, despite being available on physical media and also at home on streaming. Still plenty of people that want to go see this movie in theaters. $2.7 million there. At number nine is Magic Mike's Last Dance, a 61.4% drop in its fourth week, and spending another week and perhaps the last week in the top 10. 80 for Brady, a 53.4% drop in its fifth week of release, and an $885,000 total. When we look at the movies that dropped out of the top 10 this past weekend, A Man Called Auto, after a brief run in limited release, spent eight weeks in the top 10, but it dropped out this past weekend, as did Missing after six weeks and Knock at the Cabin after four weeks. 80 for Brady actually spending longer in the top 10 than its opening weekend mate, M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin. So a little more staying power there for the 80 for Brady ladies. When we look at what I call the road to recovery, which is basically the box office average for 2015 to 2019 pre-pandemic versus the box office average for 2021 and 2022 as theaters were reopening, we continue to do what we've been doing pretty much all year, which is to chart a course basically between those two lines, the blue line on top is pre-pandemic, the red line underneath as theaters were reopening, and we actually have a pretty busy march at the box office. So that's good news. We should start making a lot of real headway here with the box office and perhaps even flirting with going above that blue line a time or two. We will see, believe it or not, we're only about two months away from the beginning of the summer movie season. That's crazy. So let's talk a little bit about Creed 3. This was Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut, and all he did in his first movie ever was to pick up a franchise, a very highly anticipated franchise, a popular franchise, and not only did he lead it to critical success, he led it to a franchise-best opening weekend domestically. $58.3 million. It was a huge landslide win over the previous record holder, which was Creed II's $35.5 million, all the way back in November 2018. Then we have 2015's Creed with $29.6 million. Then Rocky IV back in 1985 with $19.9 million, And Rocky III back in 1982 with $16 million. But you know what we love to do on this show? We love to adjust for inflation. And many of you may be saying like, well, you know, Dan, when you adjust those numbers up from the 80s, surely Creed III was not still the best opening in franchise history. Well, actually, it was. Not by much. But even after you adjust for inflation... Creed 3's $58.3 million opening, the best opening in the Rocky Creed franchise history. Rocky 4 bumps up all the way to number 2 with an adjusted total of $55.5 million back in 1985. Then we have Rocky 3 at $49.6 million, Creed 2 at $42.3 million, and the original Creed at $37.4 million. So this is not just a thing where, oh, it's successful for its time. Michael B. Jordan actually guided this franchise to the best three-day opening in franchise history, pretty much no matter which way you look at it. And it is really impressive to see what has been done with these Creed movies here, because when you look at the demographic information, this was a younger audience. It wasn't mostly an older audience who's been around for the other Rocky films. And a lot of times we see with big franchise movies that they are largely driven by white audiences. That was not the case with this film. This is actually a very diverse audience as far as who came to see it, not just younger and older audiences, but black audiences, Hispanic and Latino audiences, 
audiences, white audiences. It was pretty evenly spread across all of those different groups. And I think what we're seeing here is that there was a successful transition here to update the Rocky franchise, to transition it into the Creed franchise, to bring it really into a new generation, to bring it perhaps to a lot of audience members who hadn't gone to a Rocky film uh, that are now going to Creed films, to bring it up to date with the times, but also to not lose the spirit of what the franchise is. And so if I were somebody who's looking to try to bring a legacy franchise kind of into more modern day to introduce it to new audiences, I would actually look at these Creed movies because they've done a very good job of introducing maybe some legacy characters. This is the first one without Rocky. It was the biggest opening they've had yet. So they're not really relying on that nostalgia with Rocky, etc. They've built a new audience with Adonis Creed. I know I said in my review that I hope this was the last Creed film because I didn't want them to kind of have diminishing returns but if we look at this box office I don't think that's looking very likely still I think that Michael B. Jordan should be commended I actually really like the direction that he took the film and a lot of the stylistic touches and updates that he had and it really seems like the audience agrees and we may well see many more entries in this Creed franchise this is, of course, when you include the Rocky films, a franchise that has spanned over 50 years. And so I'm introducing a new feature here to Charts with Dan, which is the Franchise Tracker. It's basically going to be able to track movies across different decades and different parts of the franchise by different grosses. So we can see just where a movie stands historically when you look at it compared to other movies. So here is the Franchise Tracker for the Rocky Creed franchise. When you look at just raw domestic gross, before you adjust for inflation or anything, and you'll see that Creed Creed 3 has already beaten the domestic total of Rocky 5, definitely the most maligned Rocky movie that came out back in 1990, and it's just a hair under $12 million away from beating the domestic gross of Rocky Balboa, so it will be moving past these movies pretty quickly. It should pass the original Creed probably in the next 10 days to two weeks, and then we'll see where it goes from there. The highest grossing Rocky film, unadjusted for inflation, is only at $127.8 million. Could Creed have potentially a shot there. It had an A- cinema score. It could leg out and maybe become the highest grossing Rocky Creed film by raw domestic gross. But again, you know what I like to do here on the show, which is adjust for inflation. When we look at these numbers adjusted for inflation, I think it's pretty safe to say that Creed is not going to be the highest grossing film in the franchise by that metric. Because when you look at the numbers that the original Rocky put back up back in 1976, $616.4 million gross adjusted for inflation. I don't think Creed 3 is going to get up to that level. Right now it's in the bottom position with $58.3 million. When you adjust Rocky 5's gross for inflation, it's at about $93.7 million. Still easily attainable for Creed. It's about $35.3 million behind that total. It should be able to get there easily by the end of next weekend. And then you move past Rocky Balboa pretty soon after that. Creed 2, $137.8 million adjusted for inflation at number six. I think it shouldn't have a problem moving past that or the original Creed. And then it's probably going to stay right there at number five because then you have Rocky 2 with a $350 million total. Rocky 4, $355 million. I don't think Creed 3 is going to get there, but we could be looking at a top five film adjusted for inflation, which again, when you're still kind of in the earlier days of this new franchise, and these are some of the most successful movies of the 70s and 80s, that is pretty impressive. Also keep in mind that because inflation is so bad right now here in the United States, it is a bit of an enhanced effect when you adjust for inflation. So maybe in a year or a year and a half, the numbers may not be quite as extreme as far as the older movies go, but this is how we're sitting right now. 
Another thing to look at when we track this franchise is by worldwide gross, and Creed 3 has broken the $100 million mark worldwide, and the highest grossing Rocky film worldwide is Rocky 4 at just over $300.3 million, and this is where you could really see Creed 3 moving up. Of course, you know, the global marketplace has advanced significantly since the 70s and 80s when the original Rocky movies were coming out, so I could see Creed probably, you know, very easily becoming the second highest grossing Rocky Creed film of all time. Now, Worldwide gross is where I don't really adjust for inflation because you'd have to take into account not just the dollar amount, but the different exchange rates and the money coming in from Great Britain or Australia or whatever wouldn't be the same today as it was then. It just gets very complicated. So this is one thing that's harder to put into context, but still Creed 3 really set up for success on the worldwide stage, perhaps even more so than it is domestically. Creed 3 also set an interesting mark that you may not have known about, live-action sports movies. And the reason that I say live-action is because I did not want to have the discussion about whether or not the Cars films are sports movies. And Creed 3 actually put up the biggest opening weekend of all time for a live-action sports movie. Creed 3 there at $58.3 million. Then 2005's The Longest Yard in the number two spot with $47.6 million. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby right behind at number three with 47 million then 1998's the water boy with 39.4 million and creed 2 there at number five with 35.5 million but again when you adjust these numbers for inflation you can see the degree to which the live action sports film has an undisputed king and that is adam sandler because when you adjust the numbers for inflation the longest yard has the highest opening weekend ever for a live-action sports movie at $72.9 million. And right behind it is another Adam Sandler film, The Waterboy, at $72.3 million. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, runs in third at $69.8 million. Creed 3 is bumped down to number four with $58.3 million. And then Rocky 4 takes that five spot with $55.5 million. So even adjusted for inflation, we have Creed 3 posting one of the best opening weekends ever for a live-action sports film. So kind of an unqualified qualified success in my eyes for Creed 3 and we'll see where it goes from here. It does face a lot of stiff competition as we get into the month of March, but for Jonathan Majors, what a year already. Even if he had nothing else on the books, uh, this would be a banner year for him, but I still think that we have his most impressive performance yet still to come in 2023, and that is the much smaller film magazine Dreams, which was acquired out of Sundance. Let's talk now about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We talked last week about the fact that it had an MCU worst drop from Weekend 1 to Weekend 2, and I think the hope was that perhaps it would mitigate some of that damage as far as how much it dropped from Weekend 2 to Weekend 3, but that was not the case because when we look at the MCU history as far as Weekend 2 to Weekend 3 drop-offs, it just barely avoided having the worst ever drop-off from its second to its third weekend. 59.9% was the final number for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It was beaten only by the second to third weekend drop-offs of Thor The Dark World and Thor Ragnarok, but it is the worst of the current crop of Marvel films, certainly the post-pandemic crop. Actually, the three best holds in MCU history were three Phase 4 films, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Spider-Man No Way Home, which had the benefit of the peak holiday season for its third weekend, and then Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which was a pretty sizable hit considering when it came out and what stage theater reopenings were. The fact that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is trailing all of those films and really just above these two Thor films 
uh, is not what you want to see because, again, when you pair the fact that it had the biggest ever drop from weekend one to weekend two with the third biggest drop from weekend two to weekend three, that just underscores what I've been saying, really, uh, for the last week or so, which is that this has had very weak legs, not good word of mouth, not a lot of enthusiasm, not a lot of repeat business. And some people have said, like, well, it's performing like an Ant-Man movie, which would be fine if the expectations placed on it were that of an Ant-Man movie, but I think it was pretty obvious that Marvel was expecting this to be the big, flashy, sensational kickoff of Phase 5, and that's not really how it's been performing. It has been kind of performing almost as an average Ant-Man movie, and depending on how this ends up, then it may even end up below that. And I could probably show you that if I did a big franchise tracker for the MCU and put, you know, 31 movies on there, it was tracking everything by worldwide gross and adjusted for inflation, but that would be an insane amount of work, and really only a crazy person would do that. So let's look at the franchise tracker for the MCU. This is by Domestic Gross. We have the Phase 4 and Phase 5 films there in yellow, and then Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania there in green. And you can see that through its first 17 days, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is now the 25th highest grossing Marvel film of all time. It has bypassed the final domestic grosses of Black Widow, Thor, the first Ant-Man film, Captain America, the first Avenger, Eternals, and The Incredible Hulk. And it is definitely going to pass the final gross of Thor the Dark World there with $206 million. It's going to pass the final gross of Ant-Man and the Wasp there at $216.6 million, and it will likely pass the gross of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings there at $224.5 million. But the question really becomes, is it even going to be able to hit $250 million and crack the top 20 when it comes to MCU films? I'm not so sure that it's going to. We'll, we'll see how it legs out. And when you look at these numbers adjusted for inflation, things look a little more dire for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania because it is now beating only Eternals at this point. It has surpassed the final adjusted gross of Eternals. It is about to pass the final adjusted gross of The Incredible Hulk, and it's going to pass Black Widow, but then will it pass the adjusted gross of the original Ant-Man? Well, it's about $40 million behind, so you would hope so. It looks like it's going to end up, though, right around Captain America, the first Avenger, the first Thor film, perhaps, and I don't think you necessarily want your big kickoff of phase five to be ending up adjusted for inflation where some of your phase one movies were. The expectations were different. The scales were different. The budgets were different. And so there's no way really for me to see how Marvel could look at the performance of this film as anything but a disappointment. Is it going to eventually make money? Maybe, but the bigger question is, is this going to be how you want this movie to perform to get the fan base enthused about future films? And people have said like, well, you know, you, you talk about this right now, but when Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 comes out, it's going to do great. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is probably going to do great, but that's almost its own little mini franchise within the MCU. There are always going to be franchises that pop a little bit more than others. I think that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania wasn't necessarily sold as an Ant-Man film. It was sold as a Marvel film and as an integral part of the story going forward and you have to wonder if there's not a whole lot of interest in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania how much interest is there in Avengers King Dynasty and things that are going to be leaning heavily on this story I think Kevin Feige and the team at Marvel are really trying to puzzle that question out right now and I'm not sitting here rooting for the death of the MCU I want Marvel films to continue to do well as a fan of the box office and movies and the fact that I want theaters to stay open I 
don't want to see these movies go away. On the whole, I've enjoyed the vast majority of them, so I would like to see them take the lessons away, whatever those lessons are from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And when you look at this franchise tracker as far as worldwide gross, again, how far can Ant-Man climb? I don't know if it has another, let's say, $200 million left in the tank to get up there to the gross of Iron Man 2 worldwide. And keep in mind, these are not adjusted for inflation, I think it could very well end up right around the first Ant-Man film at $518.8 million. And Ant-Man was not a movie like Black Panther, for example. You see that at number six over there with $1.3 billion. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania not passing the first Ant-Man film is different than Black Panther Wakanda Forever not passing the first Black Panther film because the two movies performed very differently. And, and if there's a dire outlook for Ant-Man and the Wasp domestically, I think it may be even more so worldwide because also keep in mind, this is not one of those Marvel movies that didn't come out in China. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did come out in China, so there's still some questions to be asked about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and answered, but we also have this franchise tracker now for the MCU, and I'm going to be rolling these out for future films like the Scream franchise this upcoming week, and of course as we get into other franchises throughout the year, this will be a fixture on the show and just kind of a new way to visualize how different movies are performing by different metrics. We have more to get to, but before we do, I want to thank one of the sponsors for this week's episode, Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. I started taking AG1 because it was hard for me to get into the routine of taking daily supplements. That's something that a lot of people struggle with, but eating breakfast is something I do every day already. So I started including AG1 in my daily breakfast shake, and it makes me feel like I'm covering my nutritional bases right off the bat and starting my day right. The biggest thing it's helped me with is improved digestion and gut health, but it's also just good to know that I'm giving my body Body, a lot of the things that it really needs. And AG1 was designed to help you live easier and better without having to make huge changes in your daily routine. It's just one scoop of powder mixed with water, or like I said, put into a shake once a day, which makes it easy to live your best life. Every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. And it's delivered to me every month, which makes it super easy to maintain that daily habit. So if you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com dan. That's athleticgreens.com dan to check it out. For the past 80 days or so, there has been a very close race that we've been watching here on Charts with Dan, and that is the race between Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water to see what will end up being the highest grossing film released in 2022 domestically. Avatar The Way of Water pulled ahead, and it looks for a while like it may actually be able to take that crown, but we had a significant development this past weekend. Here is their full journey here. You can see that for about the first week, they were very close. Then Top Gun Maverick, the red line there, pulled ahead. Then Avatar The Way of Water, as we got into peak holiday season, really opened up some space between it and Maverick. And for a little while, I, I didn't really ever think that it was going to be the top grossing film of 2022, but it certainly looked like it was going to be closer than it may end up being. But you see here over the past couple of weeks or so that that race has really tightened and it's gotten so close that it's kind of hard to see where those red and blue lines are right now. So let's zoom in a little bit. This is day 63. 80 showing the cumulative daily gross of both films and you can see Top Gun in red down there 
Avatar The Way of Water in blue. And this past weekend, from day 78 onward, seems to be the point at which Top Gun Maverick has reestablished its lead over Avatar The Way of Water. And I think for good, unless there is an unforeseen surge in attendance for The Way of Water, then I think that Top Gun Maverick will remain the top grossing film released in 2022. The Way of Water put up a really good fight, but I think it was just too much as far as longevity when it comes to Top Gun Maverick. When we look at the 2022 domestic box office, we see there Top Gun Maverick $718.7 million. Now that gross has been locked in, but I know for a fact that it's playing in some theaters this weekend uh, to prepare for the Academy Awards that are happening on Sunday. So whether or not those grosses are going to be reported and we get an updated domestic total for that, I'm not really sure. But when you look at Avatar The Way of Water, it is about $48 million behind Maverick. I think it's going to end up very close behind Maverick, but it's not going to be the number one movie. So if I were at the decision desk, if this were a political race, I would say that I have seen enough and I am projecting Top Gun Maverick officially to be the winner of the 2022 domestic box office race. But what a race. Didn't we have a lot of fun watching it? And by the way, two movies that made right around $700 million. I think they're both okay. Let's move on and look at the per theater averages for this past weekend. And Creed 3 was packing them in at just over 4,000 theaters, a $14,567 total at each of those 4,000 theaters. Demon Slayer, Into the Swordsmith Village, was in less than half that number, 1,774 theaters. But it looks like they booked the movie well because it was at number two there with $5,703 per theater. The Quiet Girl expanded into 18 theaters. This is Ireland's nominee for Best International feature $4,288 and I will say I finally had a chance to watch The Quiet Girl this past week as I'm trying to get all of the Oscar movies uh, under my belt to make my predictions and it is an exceptional film it is a really good film I don't know if I'm going to project it as the movie that I would pick for best international film but it is very very good at number four is the 4k restoration of Claire Denis Chocolat from 1988 bringing in $3,567 in one theater and at number five is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania $3,349 in 3,825 theaters. It began to shed theaters. I think it lost between four and 500 this past weekend. And speaking of that 4K restoration of Chocolat that was playing in one theater in New York, I actually had an almost misunderstanding last week where I thought that it was a screening of the Johnny Depp Juliet Binoche film Chocolat at a different theater. And so I was researching what theater that was. And I realized that I'd made a mistake, but I also wanted to keep researching the theater that I'd found that was playing the other Chocolat. And I talked about it on the show last week. And many of you said like, well, you know what? Maybe you should make that a regular feature on the show to find an independent theater that you think is interesting and that you want to talk about. And it's like, well, sure. I mean, why not? Why The show's long enough already. Let's tack on a few extra minutes. So I did actually find another independent theater that I want to talk about during the segment. And maybe we'll keep doing this. I don't know. This was fun for me. This week, I want to talk about a theater I found in Brookline, Massachusetts called the Coolidge Corner Theater. It is a former church that was converted into an Art Deco movie theater back in 1933 and has been open ever since. It wasn't an easy road, though. It faced some financial difficulties in the late 80s, and the building was actually sold to a developer and was scheduled for demolition. But this is so incredible. A group of citizens 
formed an organization to save the theater. They had it declared a city historical landmark in order to delay the demolition. They were trying to raise over $2 million to help buy out that developer. And at one point, citizens from the town literally formed a chain around the theater to show how much they wanted to protect it. And when they couldn't raise enough money to save the theater, a local realtor, this man named Harold Brown, bought the Coolidge Corner Theater and leased the theater long-term to the nonprofit group that was formed from the people who had gathered to save the theater from demolition. The Coolidge Corner Theater was reestablished as a cultural center, and 10 years later, Harold Brown saved the theater again by forgiving $350,000 in back rent so that the theater could afford renovations. Look at this guy very closely. He sadly passed away a few years ago, but Harold Brown understood what this theater meant to this city. The Coolidge Corner Theater is still a fully independent theater, and this week, if you're near Brookline, Massachusetts, which is right in the Boston metro area, you can catch all of the Oscar short film nominees, as well as The Quiet Girl, which I was just talking about, and that 4K restoration of Chocolat, which led me down this crazy road to begin with. On Friday and Saturday, it is a Brendan Fraser tribute. Friday night, they're playing Airheads. Saturday night, they're playing Monkey Bone. And if you're not going to be watching the Oscars, they're playing the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. You can buy tickets for these movies online. And even if you can't go, it is a nonprofit organization. It is a nonprofit theater. You can donate at Coolidge.org donate. And if you send a donation or you go check a movie at the Coolidge Corner Theater, Tell them Dan sent you. I had a great time researching this story. And the idea that you had this town that rallied around this theater, that understood its importance culturally and historically, and you had a citizen like Harold Brown who saved this theater twice over uh, from demolition or from falling into disrepair. That is a love for the arts. That is a love for cinema. That is a passion. It's it's what I've given my life uh, to. It's certainly what drives uh, me to, to come up with these crazy things and build franchise trackers. It's because I love movies. And this is a story about a love for movies. And I'm hoping someday to get to the Boston area and visit the Coolidge Corner Theater because it really does look like a palace, a movie palace for film lovers. Let's look at the movies that were playing in limited release this past weekend. At number one was the 2023 Oscar shorts playing in 262 theaters, including the Coolidge Corner Theater in Brookline, Massachusetts. Just over $400,000 for the weekend there. At number two, the 2023 remake of Children of the Corn playing in 586 theaters with a $263,000 total. Did you not know that they remade Children of the Corn? Well, it sounds like you didn't miss anything. Terrible reviews and basically a nominal opening before it goes to streaming so um, definitely probably not what they had drawn up when they decided to remake that movie or adapt the story by Stephen King at number three Emily staying on the chart 565 theaters and a $220,000 total at number four there was an RRR fan celebration 283 theaters just over $197,000 added to it as RRR prepares to hopefully I think probably win an Academy Award in the best original song category this upcoming weekend at number five women talking playing in 227 theaters $160,000 a very likely winner for best adapted screenplay also a competitor for best picture at the academy awards this upcoming weekend when we look at the top 10 grocers and limited release this calendar year so this is all tickets sold since january 1st regardless of when the movie was released Patan still easily number one 17.1 million dollars a man called auto the portion of its release while it was in wide release at number 
number two with 6.2 million. The Wandering Earth 2 is at number three with 4.9 million, followed by Women Talking, less than $60,000 behind The Wandering Earth 2. It may well take over that spot next week, 4.90 million there. The Whale's at number five with $3.9 million during its limited release run this year. Living is at number six. The 2023 Oscar Shorts moves up to number seven with a $2.3 million total. That bumps Walter Viraya down to number eight. 2023's Fear down to number nine and Skinamarink down to number 10. This is the 2023 domestic winter spring box office. So this is movies released after January 1st. Basically, this is the 2023 domestic box office. Just a different way of putting it. Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, number one with $187.1 million, followed by Megan at number two with $94.8 million. But Creed 3 making a strong play to become the second film released in 2023 to pass $100 million domestically. Cocaine Bear jumps up three spots to number four with a $41.4 million total. 80 for Brady drops down two spots to number five. Knock at the Cabin drops down two spots to number six. Missing drops down a spot to number seven. Plain plummets three spots to number eight. Jesus Revolution moves up one spot to number nine. Magic Mike's Last Dance moves down two spots to number 10. And Patan drops out of the top 10 domestically for 2023. When we look at the yearly box office, as far as all tickets sold since January 1st, Avatar The Way of Water at number one, and I think very likely to stay number one even after Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania's theatrical run is over. Then Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania at number two with $187.1 million. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish has banked $121.4 million this calendar year. Megan is at number four with $94.8 million. Then A Man Called Otto at number five with $63.2 million. Creed 3 enters this chart at number six with $58.3 million. Cocaine Bear jumping three spots to number seven. 80 for Brady dropping two spots to number eight. Knock at the Cabin dropping two spots to number nine. And Missing dropping two spots to number 10. Plane dropping off of this chart altogether. Let's move out of the domestic marketplace now and look at the top five films internationally. So these are all markets outside of the United States and Canada. At number one was Creed 3, which banked $41.8 million around the world, followed by Jonathan Major's other movie in the marketplace, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, at $22 million. Avatar The Way of Water banked $6.1 million. Then we have the Chinese film Cyber Heist at number four, with just over $6 million, and A Guilty Conscience out of Hong Kong at point. million. When you take those international numbers, you combine them with the domestic weekend grosses, we get our top five films worldwide. And debuting to just over $100 million worldwide is Creed 3, followed by Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania with $34.8 million, then Cocaine Bear with $14.2 million worldwide, Demon Slayer Into the Swordsmith Village adds a couple million dollars worldwide for a $12.2 million total, and then at number five is Avatar The Way of Water with $9.7 million around the world. Looking at the 2023 Worldwide Box Office, Full River Red maintains its number one spot, and I think it will for quite some time, $668.1 million. The Wandering Earth 2 at number two with $595.5 million. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is there at number three, $420.2 million, followed by Boonie Bear's Guardian Code and Megan with $173.1 million. Hidden Blade is at number six, followed by Deep Sea at number seven. Patan is at number eight with $126.8 million. Creed 3 joins the list at number Number nine at just over 101.3 million, and Cheburashka drops down to number 10 with 89.6 million. Dropping off the chart altogether is the 25th anniversary re release of Titanic, which was on this chart for one short week.
We'll continue with all the box office and numbers breakdowns in just a moment, but I'd like to take a moment to thank our other sponsor this week, Mint Mobile. Everybody loves having mobile service, but we all hate having to deal with the big wireless companies, hidden costs, crazy fees, but the answer to those problems is here, and it's called Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. No crazy contracts, no ridiculous promotions, no charges that you don't find out about until you get your bill. I spent months with my last service provider trying to figure out my contract and neither one of us knew what was going on. They couldn't even keep it straight. Everybody had a different answer, but Mint Mobile is so simple, you don't have to try to crack some impossible code just to get what you paid for. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family, and at Mint Mobile, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month with no unexpected surprises at mintmobile.com slash Merle. That's mint, M-I-N-T, mobile.com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L. Seriously, you'll make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash Merle. This is the part of the show where I take a few minutes to look at a weekend in box office history, but also take a few minutes to remember some people who have had a big impact in the world of film and television who have passed away over the last week. And there are a few names that I want to spotlight today. The first is actor Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore was one of the most prolific working actors throughout his career, but he had an almost unparalleled run of films in the 1990s, from True Romance to Black Hawk Down to his role in one of my favorite movies of all time, Saving Private Ryan. Tom Sizemore was a regular actor in Catherine Bigelow's movies, as well as director Tony Scott's films. He also worked with Oliver Stone, Michael Mann, Steven Spielberg, and Martin Scorsese. Again, this is just in the 1990s. Sadly, Tom Sizemore's personal struggles often stole the spotlight from his on-screen performances, but he leaves behind a string of memorable work in what I think are some of the late 20th century's finest films. Another name that I want to bring up is Rico Browning, who was the last surviving original Universal monster, going all the way back to Dracula, Frankenstein, all those films. Rico Browning was inside the suit of the Gill Man in Creature from the Black Lagoon in the underwater sequences from that film, and that alone would be notable enough to build a legacy on. But Rico Browning also wrote the story for the movie Flipper and went on to co-create the 1960 TV show and also directed over three dozen episodes of that show. He also worked as a second unit director on underwater sequences for several movies, including the James Bond film Thunderball and the baby Ruth scene in Harold Ramis's Caddyshack. And then finally, another name I wanted to highlight, Bernie Mattinson, who was the last key creative at Disney who worked directly under Walt Disney and also reportedly the longest tenured worker at Disney ever, almost a 70-year career working for the company. He began as a teenager who was just a fan of Disney animation. He started parking cars in the garage back in the 1950s. He went on to work as an uncredited animator on several Disney films until his first credited gig, which was doing character 
character animation for Disney's Robin Hood. Bernie Madison would go on to become an animator on the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. He worked as a story writer starting in 1977 with The Rescuers, also contributed to the stories of the Disney 90s renaissance, getting story credit on movies including Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Mulan, and others. He directed Mickey's Christmas Carol, one of my favorite shorts growing up, and also was a director on the Disney feature The Great Mouse Detective, and he was providing story art for Disney films all the way up until last year's Strange World. You hear the phrase end of an era a lot, but Bernie Mattinson's passing really does mark the literal end of an era. And when you pair his passing in the same week with Rico Browning, the last surviving original Universal Monster, it does feel like a little piece of Hollywood's history, the golden age of Hollywood's history, has gone over this past week. So Tom Sizemore, Rico Browning, Bernie Mattinson, all people that will leave their own mark and their own legacy across so many different types of film. And as always, my thoughts go out to their friends, family, and fans. Let's look back now, as we always do, at a weekend in box office history, and we're going to go back to 1987, the ninth weekend of the year, February 27th through March 1st, and this weekend saw the debut of one of my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street films of all time, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, a great movie, an equally great song by Dawkins, $8.8 million for a number one debut. In second place, in its 11th week of release, was the soon-to-be Best Picture winner, Platoon, with $7.1 million. Outrageous Fortune, starring Bette Midler and Shelley Long, was holding well in its fifth week, just a 3.1% drop from the previous week and a $4.4 million total. At number four, the film Mannequin, which was about a mannequin that comes to life. Well, the 80s was a weird time. In its third week, an 18.6% drop for a total just over $4 million. And then in week 16, I didn't have numbers for just how much of a drop it was from the previous week, but Gene Hackman's Hoosiers with a $3.6 million total rounded out the top five. But as we always do when we look at weekends from box office history, I like to hit the inflation button. When we hit that button, we see that A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors open to the equivalent of $23.3 million in that opening weekend back in February of 1987. Platoon in week 11, banking the equivalent of $18.8 million. Not bad for where it was in its theatrical run. Outrageous Fortune banking $11.6 million in week five. Mannequin, $10.7 million in week three. And Hoosiers, $9.6 million in its 16th week. Before we wrap up, as always, I like to look at what people are watching at home through various different streaming services, and we will start with the iTunes store, what people are streaming, buying, renting, etc., and making its debut at number one is the Tom Hanks film, A Man Called Otto. It dropped out of the box office top 10, but it's number one on the iTunes charts, available for purchase only, but that's not stopping people because it's there at number one. The Whale at number two, also available only for purchase. Women Talking, now available for purchase and rental, is there at number three the fableman's at number four dragon ball super superhero available for purchase cracks the top five at number five puss in boots the last wish still available for purchase only is at number six knock at the cabin hits the streaming charts available for purchase and premium video on demand at number seven as does magic mike's last dance available for purchase and premium video on demand at number eight plane is at number nine and i want to dance with somebody enters the charts available for purchase and rental at number ten 
Let's look now at the top programs over on Netflix, and this uses what I call my global neural metric. I generate a number called the PFV number, which stands for Potential Finished Views. I take the total number of hours watched, divide it by the length of the program, and that gives me the number of people who could potentially have finished a given movie or series. And when we look at the week of February 20th through February 26th, at number one is the Netflix original movie, We Have a Ghost, starring David Harbour. I meant to watch this. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. A PFV of 19. 17.18 at number two another netflix film that looks really interesting the horror film the strays at 17.88 pfv and then just behind outer bank season three a netflix original series that drew a big hours watch number 154.9 million hours watched for a pfv of 17.69 at number four murdaugh murders which is taking on the real life alex murdaugh case which just came to a dramatic conclusion last week just over 40 million hours watched for a pfv of 17 17.04. Your Place or Mine, the Netflix original movie, is at number five with a PFE of 12.05, followed by Army of One, which is, as far as I could find, a straight-to-DVD film from 2020 that's now on the top 10 charts for Netflix. It's a hell of a place, huh? A PFE of 10.76. Triptych Season 1 is at number seven. This is a series out of Mexico where a forensic investigator finds that a body that she's investigating looks exactly like her. What an interesting setup. A PFE of 9.01. One. The South Korean film Unlocked is at number 8 with a PFE of 8.29. U Season 4 stays on the chart with a PFE of 7.1. And The Law According to Lydia Poet Season 1 stays on the chart with a PFE of 5.36. And when you look at the most watched 2023 Netflix programs year to date, meaning all views after January 1st, You People remains number one, although Your Place or Mine is gaining on it. You People has a PFV of 76.61. Your Place or Mine, though, up to 68.83. Jenny and Georgia Season 2 moves down one spot to number three with 60.6. Wednesday Season 1 actually moves up one, despite the fact that it came out way back in 2022. It has a PFE of 47.6 just this year. You Season 4 moves up to number 5 with a PFE of 47.03. The Pale Blue Eye and Glass Onion both drop. The Pale Blue Eye moves down to number 6. Glass Onion moves down to number 7. Viking Wolf is at number 8. Kaleidoscope is at number 9. And entering the chart is Minions, The Rise of Gru, the only non-Netflix movie or series on this chart. A PFE of 28 8.85 so far this year. Dropping out of the top 10 is Dog Gone, a Netflix original movie that's about a dog that's gone. I'm just going to let that sink in so you can process that for a second. The dog is gone and also gone from the charts. Let's look now at the Nielsen ratings. As always, caveats here. These are about a month old. They take about a month to generate. They don't cover all devices or all streaming services, and they are for the U.S. only. But it's the best that we have as far as comparing different streaming services to see how these different movies and shows are shaking out. And let's look first at the most watched streaming movies. This is for January 30th through February 5th. And you see here a big debut for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. The big theatrical debuts on Disney Plus don't always move the needle here on the Nielsen charts, but Black Panther Wakanda Forever sure did. 37.8 million hours watched, an easy number one. You People's at number two with 25.8 million on Netflix. Minions The Rise of Gru on Netflix, also with a strong debut, 19.7 million hours watched, followed by Pamela, A Love Story, which debuted this week on Netflix, just over 9 million hours watched. Amazon Shotgun Wedding is at number 5. Lyle Lyle Crocodile on Netflix is at number 6, with 6 million hours watched, followed by Viking Wolf making its debut at number 7. 
7, Flushed Away on Netflix, making its debut at 8, and then the two standbys, Encanto on Disney Plus at number 9, and Moana on Disney Plus at number 10. When we look at the most watched streaming shows for the week of January 30th through February 5th, at number one is Amsterdam, available on Netflix and Peacock with just over 20.8 million hours watched. At number two is The Last of Us, just barely about 1 million hours out of the number one spot on HBO Max. But again, keeping in mind, this is even more impressive because this does not count people that are watching The Last of Us on linear HBO through their cable providers, etc. So this is by no means a full accounting of Last of Us viewers. This is a huge hit show as it builds to its season finale this upcoming week. At number three is The Walking Dead on Netflix. I guess people are in a zombie kind of mood. Just over 15 million hours watched. Ginny and Georgia at number four. Coco Melon at number five. Grey's Anatomy at number six. NCIS back on the chart at number seven. Criminal Minds through its various streaming services there at number eight. Bluey on Disney Plus at number nine. And Poker Face. It was on our hours watched per episode chart last week, but it makes the overall top 10 this week over on Peacock. And speaking of those hours watched per episode numbers, this is the watch time per available episode listing for the week of January 30th through February 5th. You see here The Last of Us at this point in its run had four episodes out in its weekly run with 4.96 million hours watched per episode, by far the most of any show in the Nielsen Top 20. Poker Face, though, with five episodes available at number two with 2.14 million. Physical 100 had four available episodes this week week with 1.37 million hours watched per episode, followed by Lockwood and Company's full run at number four with 1.3 million, The Snow Girls full run at number five with just over 1 million, Wednesday still hanging in that top six, 864,000 hours watched per episode, followed by Jenny and Georgia at number seven, Coco Melon at number eight, that 90s show at number nine, and the great British baking show Professionals, 10 full episodes coming in at number 10 with 510,000 hours watched per episode. And that does it for Charts with Dan this week. A busy week coming up on television, at the movie theaters, on different streaming services. Tomorrow, on Wednesday, Netflix is debuting a series called MH370, the plane that disappeared about the Malaysian flight that disappeared. It was the story of the week on cable news several years ago. Well, now Netflix has a show about it. Coming up this weekend in theaters, we have Scream 6, which is opening nationwide. We also have the film 65, a.k.a. Adam Driver Fights Dinosaurs, and I can't wait. It's also opening in wide release on Friday after bumping up a week, I think, to get out of Shazam's way, although now it's in Scream 6's way. I don't quite know how that math works. And then also opening this weekend is the Woody Harrelson Sports Comedy Champions that's a third wide release this weekend, so a lot of movies returning to theaters. In more limited release, we have an animated film called Unicorn Wars, which is an animated slash horror film from Spain, and it's about more bears. This is our third bear horror hybrid film this year after Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, and Cocaine Bear. I don't know what's going on with bears in cinema this year, but it is a banner year for them. So we have more horror bears in limited release. On Friday, Luther, The Fallen Sun, after a limited release in cinemas, hits the Netflix streaming service, so you can watch it at home. Chang Can Dunk is an original Disney Plus film that's hitting the service on Friday. And then on Sunday, we have a big matchup. The Last of Us season one finale is on HBO Max. It will be going up directly 
against the Academy Awards on Sunday on ABC, and I'm pretty sure The Last of Us may well draw more viewers. That's just where we are with award shows versus scripted dramas. It poses quite a dilemma for me because I'm going to be covering both of those, but I will be doing a, first of all, a live stream of the Academy Awards over on Patreon. I know I don't talk about Patreon as much here on the channel, but we're still going strong over there. We have Dan's Movie Club that we do uh, every single month, but I will be doing a live stream watch along of the Oscars for everybody, all my patrons at all levels. So if you wanna go check that out, it starts at just two bucks. Come watch the Oscars with me. I'll also be doing a recap as soon as the show is over. That'll probably go up early on Monday morning. And then I'm gonna watch The Last of Us and try to get a review out for season one next week. People have been saying like, why aren't you doing week to week. I really wanted to take in the whole show. I'm loving what I've seen so far. I'm excited to see what the finale holds. I haven't played the game, so I don't have a whole lot of spoilers. So look out for that Last of Us Season 1 review coming up here on the channel next week. But just a crazy amount of movies and award shows, etc. coming up this month. I can't wait to talk about it all here with you. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you to Mint Mobile and Athletic Greens, my sponsors. Thank you to my partners, Carbon Health. You can find information about all of them down in the description below. But most of all, thank you for spending a large part of your day here with me. I'll be back very soon with more movie news, reviews, box office, and more. Until then, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye.